Putin! Well, today marks the eighth anniversary of Russia's illegal annexation of Crimea. There was a large gathering in Moscow today. President Vladimir Putin used the rally at the soccer stadium on Friday to justify the invasion of Ukraine as well, promising tens of thousands of people waving Russian flags that all the Kremlin's aims would be achieved. The BBC says, of course, that People told them that they worked in the public sector. They'd been pressured to attend by their employers. There were certainly, according to the Kremlin, about 200,000 people there, so pretty big. They also had, and this gets back to our question of the day quickly, they had some musical performances, many of them not particularly great. Oleg Gazamanov, sometimes called Russia's Bruce Springsteen, performed, um, not to my liking. And it had me thinking, what is the best Bruce Springsteen cover song out there? Let me know, 877-399-9898. That's 877-399-9898. What is the best Bruce Springsteen cover song? Because the Night by Patti Smith. I always liked that one. I'm on Fire by Johnny Cash. That was a good one. Anything would help to get the sounds of Oleg Gazamanov out of my brain. Again, uh, Vladimir Putin using that rally today to tell the crowd that the war in Ukraine is justified. Uh, and that their aims would be achieved. Instead, more than three weeks after the invasion, Western military officials say the ground advance has stalled. Objectives such as capturing major Ukrainian cities, such as Kyiv, have not happened. They're still bombarding them, though, mind you, targeting residential buildings in Kyiv and near the airport in the western city of Lviv today. And today, Canada's foreign affairs minister, Melanie Jolie, says she doesn't have faith in Moscow's willingness to negotiate a diplomatic solution to all this. She also says Western countries are more united than ever. Well, there's nothing like having one villain. Right. So, uh, and now what uh, NATO members are doing is also reinforcing the eastern flank uh, of Europe. And so, and we're having conversations also with Finland. That's Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie today at the Monk School in Toronto. So as NATO leaders get set to meet next week, the question is tonight, where are we heading? Are we heading towards a long and brutal stalemate or is there some room for diplomacy here? And what would that look like? Joining me now is Ivan Kachanovsky. He's a professor of political studies at the University of Ottawa and author of Clef Nations, Regional Political Divisions and Cultures in Post-Soviet Ukraine and Moldova. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Uh, good evening. Thank you for the invitation. I was going to ask you, I mean, I watched the rally today in Moscow because you're looking for clues, right? You're looking for clues as to where this could be headed, despite what is obviously, um, you know, made for a made for a Russian audience in many ways. Did you see anything today or hear anything in that rally that might point us to where we could be headed in the near future? I think it's uh, not easy to see actually what the actual plan of Vladimir Putin is in case of Ukraine. And I think uh, the latest rally shows that he, he is uh, set on um, winning this war with Ukraine and he would devote as much effort and as much of uh, likes of uh, Russian soldiers to achieve this goal because uh, for him Ukraine is essential um, for his future, and also he regards this as essential for uh, Russian security, and this would be, I think, one of the reasons why uh, this war would be very damaging to Ukraine in any case, in any kind of outcome which is likely to happen. And I think based on my research and based on statements by a variety of officials, Russian officials and other sources, I can say that um, the goal of Vladimir Putin most likely is that he wants to have a regime change in Ukraine. 
to move you can from pro western country uh, into pro russian country or um, at least a neutral country and this uh, was a main demand for uh, ukraine during negotiations which are taking place between ukraine and russia to end this war one gets the impression now, uh, Mr. Kachanovsky, that a regime change in Ukraine is probably not going to happen. You get that impression now, or certainly plans that Vladimir Putin had to reinstall, say, someone like a Viktor Yanukovych, um, were not are not going to happen. I, I was talking to an MP from Mariupol yesterday, Russian speaking, obviously, who says that now because of what's happened, he feels at least that a place like Mariupol will never again not fly the Ukrainian flag. So do you see there being any way that these two sides can find a compromise if Vladimir Putin does not get what he wants and Vladimir Zelensky has to give up something? I think there is such possibility because negotiations are ongoing and there are leaks from this uh, uh, talks between Ukraine and uh, Russia that uh, they already basically agreed on neutrality of Ukraine, that Ukraine would basically abandon its goal of membership of NATO. And Zelensky uh, basically stated the same recently, and other Ukrainian government officials suggested the same. So there is a possibility already for some kind of compromise. But uh, there are still Russian demands which will be very difficult to meet by the Ukrainian government because they involve uh, uh, recognition of uh, the Russian annexation of Crimea and also recognition of uh, of, uh, Donbass, separatist republics within the borders of uh, Donetsk and Luhansk regions before the war started between Russia and, uh, and uh, Ukraine in right. 2000, in just uh, one month ago. And in this right. case, I think it would be very difficult for Zelensky politically to agree to such demands because he would face a revolt within Ukrainian government and this might lead to his dismissal and, and his removal from the power. And I think also in Mariupol, actually, I also follow this events very closely, and my best friend lives in Mariupol. I used to talk right. to him over Skype for a very long time, very frequently, but now there is no communication. And I think this is a very dangerous situation for Ukrainian forces in Mariupol right now because Russian separatist forces advance and they might encircle, they already encircle this, uh, the city and uh, they might capture this uh, uh, quite soon. Yeah, certainly a very troubling situation. I hope your friend is okay. uh, The MP I was speaking to yesterday, Dimitro Guerin, his parents are still in Mariupol, and and obviously the worries there with with the uh, with the incessant shelling, and so forth, and the lack of humanitarian corridors have been have been very heightened. Um, You mentioned an an interesting point because there's a Washington Post article out today talking about Volodymyr Zelensky. Now, everyone, of course, has been full of praise for his ability to to unite and lead Ukraine um, through the response to this invasion. But there were this article talked about confusion about perhaps what Volodymyr Zelensky's end goals are here. Um, and that in some senses, as you mentioned, he's also in a bit of a corner because he doesn't have a lot of negotiating room, for instance, over something like recognition of Crimea. What do you think his negotiating position is, and, and where do you think he has some room to maneuver? I think uh, he uh, tries to uh, prolong this talks as soon as much as possible, because he believes, based on his public statements, that uh, NATO uh, or countries like the United States or United Kingdom might provide military support for Ukrainian military forces. And he uh, publicly demanded no-fly zone in Ukraine, which is, um, again, will be very dangerous. 
because of possibility of war between uh, NATO and Russia, and, uh, basically nuclear powers with potentially very dangerous consequences for the entire world. But he still publicly said that he demanded this uh, no-flight zone even during his recent speech to the U.S. Congress. And uh, he also believes that the new weapon supplies from the United States and the new aircraft, anti-aircraft missiles supplies from Slovakia and, um, and Bulgaria might help him to kind of stop Russian advance and to win this war. And I think uh, this may be an explanation for his behavior and his uh, public statements and his actions. And, uh, but this will, again, very difficult uh, to achieve because Russia has a very large advantage in terms of military, uh, not only size of military force, but also um, a technological advance, advantage in terms of weapons. They have uh, air superiority over Ukrainian forces, and they would basically destroy all the new anti-aircraft missile systems, which would be uh, deployed in Ukraine. And this also would be very tough to, to beat in terms of uh, to stop Russian advance and uh, more, in, even much more difficult to reverse this Russian military advance if uh, in case if uh, if Zelensky would not uh, adopt and not accept Russian demands to recognize uh, Crimea and uh, separatist controlled Donbass, which is um, within the borders of uh, Donetsk and Luhansk regions, and this right. includes also city Mariupol, because now, according to the latest evidence which I saw, basically separatists and Russian forces are uh, to control of, of almost entire Luhansk region, and they if if they capture Mariupol, this will be. Um, second biggest city in the Donetsk region and uh, would be just a few uh, smaller uh, towns left under Ukrainian control in the Donbass. And this would basically de facto mean that Russia already would, uh, and separatists would already uh, take control over entire uh, part of uh, territory of uh, Donbass, which uh, they claim initially when uh, Putin right. uh, recognized their independence. Right. So f- uh, facts on the ground, uh, technically. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you a bit a bit more about Russia's military performance, because you did mention technological superiority and so forth, weapons superiority, military superiority. But I've talked to a lot of people in the past few weeks who who are astounded at how just how awful Russia's military looks right now. And I think maybe if you look back over the last few years, you may realize that Russia's never actually been tested. They've been beating up on civilians and bullies for the last two years or last 10 years, taking over Transnistria, you know, Georgia, uh, Eastern Ukraine, haphazard armies. Now that they're facing actual pushback, are we witnessing a Russian army that maybe is a paper tiger? We'll talk about that after this. I'm speaking with Ivan Kachanovsky, professor of political studies at the University of Ottawa. We've been talking about uh, the rally in Moscow today, Vladimir Putin's rally to mark eight years since the annexation of Crimea, um, as well as the progress of the war. Is there any chance for negotiation in this war? Talking about both uh, Vladimir Zelensky finding himself uh, in a difficult negotiating situation and certainly Vladimir Putin in a difficult negotiating situation as well. One of the things I found really interesting about some of what you've been commenting on over the past three weeks, uh, Mr. Kachanovsky, is just that truth is often the first victim of war and that this has become you know, what we're seeing on social media, the analysis we're seeing from military experts around the world. You've spent a lot of time in that part of the world. You know what what that part of the world is like. What's your assessment of, of all the commentary going on? Has Russia's military really failed as badly as we think it has? Uh, I think I study uh, current war between Russia and Ukraine uh, 
for my academic project, uh, in addition that I'm originally from Ukraine and follow this uh, conflict very closely, and I studied similar conflicts in Ukraine, including war in Donbass, a published article, peer-reviewed article on this topic, which is a most cited article in Google right. Scholar, and also studied other conflicts in Ukraine and involving Russia, like Russia-Georgia war and Chechen wars. And I can think, right. and also uh, media coverage of this was, and I think I see a lot of similarities uh, on social media comments with previous uh, wars which, which involved Russia, like war in Chechnya in particular, when uh, there was a similar kind of reports in, in, in the media and a lot of uh, uh, kind of public perceptions about Russian performance. And, and I think this is often is based on um, kind of visual, visual kind of um, beliefs and uh, right. to see what what the people want to see uh, basically they root for ukraine because russia obviously invaded this ukraine uh, illegally and they have overwhelming um, power and uh, advantage of ukrainian forces and so a lot of people support ukraine and uh, especially on social media like twitter which is dominated by um, western uh, kind of um, users and there are very few Russian users of, of Twitter comparatively. And for this reason, often reports which are posted on social media are looking not what I can estimate from my own research, which I'm looking based on um, examination of videos. I watch uh, hundreds of videos each day uh, looking at different reports from, from media from different uh, kind of uh, cases of, of casualties, uh, different kind of engagements and so on, different attacks by Russian and Ukrainian attacks and so on. And I can say that um, social media is not reliable uh, in this regard. And, um, and uh, the belief uh, which is dominant um, on social media uh, that uh, basically Russia is close to defeat is actually, uh, is lo looks like more as a wishful uh, thinking than actual um, situation right now, which is I think very dangerous to Ukraine and might be becoming even more dangerous because Putin uh, basically regards this um, um, uh, war. Uh, with Ukraine as uh, decisive for his own future and for future of Russia. So, uh, and uh, for the West, the West would not intervene militarily in support of Ukraine, and this was also said publicly. For, and for this reason, I think it would be very difficult for Ukraine to 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 get a kind of some kind of face-saving uh, outcome. It would be in any case, even if a war would uh, would be prolonged. In such case, there would be a much larger number of casualties, and it would lead to economic devastation of Ukraine. In addition to a very large number of uh, uh, of military and also civilian casualties, and also if you look into variety of evidence which is posted on social media, this is also quite selective. Uh, so I I see Twitter comments and so on, and often they rely on official government estimates. Or reports which are not verified, not supported by any evidence, so they take at face value such statements, and, and they are basically not very reliable, to say the least. And this is the same applies to the Russian media, which and the Russian social media like Telegram and Contacti, which have their own bias, obviously, for Russian one. And I think this right. is a, a general problem. I think it, I mean, I think what you're pointing to is that there then becomes a problem of expectation and a problem of reality. So when it comes to actually negotiating something or trying to negotiate, because clearly the way one would like to see this all end is with peace, at least a durable peace. It's almost impossible to imagine now that that might happen, but that's how one would hope this would end. Um, from your standpoint, 
where do you think a negotiated peace could come from? What does that look like? And I have about two minutes, so I apologize to rush you, but I know it's okay. a tough question. Yeah, that's fine. I think the peace uh, possibility of such peaceful uh, uh, solution of this war would be basically uh, kind of uh, Putin said this uh, publicly and uh, in his uh, talks to uh, President of Turkey recently that he demands basically for Ukraine to accept uh, uh, neutrality of Ukraine, non-NATO membership, the militarization of Ukraine, uh, Russian language as a second state language or official language in Ukraine, also so-called denazification of Ukraine, which involves ban on far-right military formations and and, and, uh, and uh, political organizations. In addition to this, the most right. important demands are recognition of Russian annexation of Crimea and Donbass. And I think this uh, looks like, um, uh, I think, major points, uh, which I already mentioned. And for this reason, it will be very tough for Zelensky to accept them. But I think because of Russian uh, kind of might uh, pressure militarily, in particular by taking over, uh, taking uh, Mariupol and um, and sitting Ukrainian forces, uh, kind of such possibilities real in Donbass. This might lead uh, basically to Zelensky being forced to accept this uh, Russian demands, uh, and uh, this uh, would mean that would be such possibility of end of the war uh, on the kind of relatively uh, kind of. Uh, peaceful uh, terms, but uh, if right. uh, Zelensky would fail to do this, uh, Putin certain basically that he, he would stop, uh, uh, he would not kind of stop his invasion, and uh, we, he would demand capitulation of Ukraine, and basically this might lead to end of Ukraine as independent state. I think this is also very dangerous for Ukraine because of uh, of uh, Russia can resort to such tactics as well. Uh, but it will be also for Putin problematic because uh, he uh, Russian military forces already uh, quite limited. They uh, they are not deployed in terms of uh, entirety of Russian military. They only deploy professional um, military right. uh, troops. And this would be very difficult to take control over Kiev and, and uh, other large cities uh, without a very large number of casualties. Ivan Kachanovsky, if I hear you correctly, what we end up here is that no one gets what they want, but we get an end of the violence. So perhaps uh, perhaps that may happen. Thank you so much for your insight tonight. It's been very interesting to hear from you. Ivan Kachanovsky, Professor of Political Studies at the University of Ottawa. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation.